the podcast of Imago Day Community, where we're convicted to help bring the whole gospel to the whole person, to the whole world. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. We are uh, uh, in a series called Compelled by Love. And we're essentially looking at what does it mean to have an experience of God's love that would... Uh, compel us to be the kind of people that would would love the world around us and would have announced to them the saving grace of Christ. And um, last week, we looked at the whole reality that Christ is risen from the dead and, and, and how do we live into that hope. But it's interesting as you follow the disciples through the gospels and you listen to how Jesus invites them to take next steps. It starts out with come and see. And so we've been through several weeks in in come and see, come and see who this Jesus is. Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the savior? And then there is a gradual progression into go and tell. And, And that is this powerful sending of the church of disciples by Jesus into the world to announce his kingdom. And then as we go further into this journey, there is this invitation to come and die. And for many of us, that's where it stops. That's where our discipleship, that's where our following stops. We create the parameters for which we'll trust and we'll obey. And we set the boundaries and the markers that say we'll go here and not further. And and, and like Annie's song, and even the eater's story, what, what what is beautiful and terrifying about Jesus is he's using all of life to form us into his image. And what we wanted him to do was come into our hearts, sit down in a recliner and start watching TV and kind of not get too carried away. We don't like the fact that he also has a jackhammer and a sledgehammer for some reason and we're not sure what he wants to do with those. There's a whole truck full of tools and you're sort of like, dude, just, do you want an Ambien or anything? Like, I don't, I don't want you to... You, right? I want you to look more like me. And yet Jesus continues to say, I wasn't setting up a, relation, a religion. I was, I was saving you. And, and, and there was a, there's, this is utterly serious what I'm talking about. And so today, we're going to look at this invitation, kind of where it starts, this invitation to come and die. So why don't we start in verse 18 of Luke 9. He says, once when Jesus was praying in private, his disciples were with him and he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. This is, this is kind of a powerful moment for Peter. It's this recognition that uh, 
that Jesus, the person, this rabbi that he's been following, is in fact the one that the Old Testament has promised, the, the anointed son of God, the spirit anointed son of God who would come and redeem the people of Israel and restore the kingdom. And so he announces that, he confesses that. It's this, it's this moment that, that assumes victory and it, uh, success. It, it sort of assumes power. And then Jesus turns the conversation in verse 21. He says, Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And that, that would have been more than a shock to them. That would have been utterly almost contradictory to what Peter's confession was. And Jesus takes this moment where there is this sort of prophetic announcement that you are God's Messiah. This is the victorious sort of declaration. And he uses this moment to explain that for in Christ, the way to life is through death. And in fact, his salvation story, the way this Messiah is going to get things done is through a self-sacrificing love. And then he turns the conversation towards them in verse 23. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and daily follow me. The invitation that Jesus makes to come and die is something significant if he is the Messiah of God. If he's just a guy teaching, it's sort of like, well, it's kind of an unattractive invitation. But if he is the son of God, it means he has the authority to explain how life is supposed to really work, how salvation really comes. And if he is the son of God, then he has the power to actually do it. And he points to that in his being raised on the third day. And then he turns to them and says, whoever, whoever wants to be my disciple." So he, he sets the conversation. It's interesting. I always kind of think like when I'm talking with people or even thinking about my own life, there's this sense that I want, like I have tough questions for Jesus. I want to know about suffering. I have questions for him about the way things are and why they're not the way I want it to be. And I make this sort of assumption that I'm in the driver's seat. But then it occurs to me when I read really hard passages that Jesus might have questions for me, right? He might actually have questions about what I have been doing and how I've been living and and the choices that I've made. And those questions actually might be uh, much more pointed and accurate than mine. In this invitation to whosoever wants to be my disciples, he lays out 
three things that we have to do. Deny yourself, pick up your cross daily, and follow him. Self-denial in our culture is, is not something that people necessarily respect. We might respect it from afar, but the way that things are laid out for us, the truth is everything is at your fingertips. You can download an app right now on your iPhone called I Want, right? We never think twice about it. We're just like, yes, that's true. I want, and you push it, and then you find out where that thing you want is. And good news is it's probably within a mile and a half from where you are right now. But, but here comes Jesus, and he says, part of following me, it means that you're going to have go-to places, go-to things that you run after. And part of following me is that you're going to need to deny those. Now, for many of us, we go, okay, that he's talking simply about sins of the flesh, which he is talking about that. But it's other things too. For instance, in Leviticus, which I know you all love that book, um, Leviticus 19, he says, deny yourself in regards to the Sabbath. Deny yourself and rest and do no labor on the Sabbath day. So it's bigger than simply, you know, dark, sinful things, though it includes that, but it's also the, the power to order my life around that I want button. To stop and rest in a world of chaotic sort of urgency is really difficult if you've ever tried to keep the Sabbath. But underneath this invitation to self-denial is something good. And the goodness comes from you have a God who wants you to live. And he knows that when you pursue and run away from him, then you start to run into death. And so he says, deny yourself. And the second thing he says is pick up your cross daily and follow me. Now, the thing about a cross in this day and age is it was an execution tool. Nobody wore them around their neck like they were cool little necklaces. Nobody tattooed them on their bodies. Imagine. Um, It would be the equivalent of saying, pick up your gas chamber. Pick up your lethal injection. Pick up your noose, right? Not things that people would go, oh, that's cool. People look at me walking around with a miniature gas chamber around my neck going, that guy's cool. It's an invitation to, to go to the end of yourself, to die to yourself. Now, most of us look at the, this image and we say, oh yeah, that's, we're going to the cross, just like Jesus went to the cross. But the truth is, Jesus going to the cross has, is very, very different than the crosses you and I carry. You're not gonna die for the sins of the world You aren't God's substitutionary atonement for our salvation. But where his cross and our crosses are alike is that there is this commitment to the will of God, right? God declaring, this is my will, and Jesus' commitment to be faithful to follow that will. 
So when the father says, uh, I am going to give my beloved son so that anyone who believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life, Jesus says, I'm gonna be faithful, the faithful son compelled by love to be that sacrifice. And even in that moment of the garden where he's weeping and sweating blood and crying out, God, if there's any other way, take this cup from me, but not my will, yours be done. And so what we see is this sense of God saying, here is my will for you, and your response is, I will be faithful to that will, not my will but yours be done. And where those two things collide, that's your cross. And that cross is something that changes daily. There's a dailiness to following Jesus this way. I think for a lot of people, what we want is to say, Jesus, can you just give me the rules? Don't, what, what are the things I'm not supposed to do? What are the things I can do? And then you do your thing and I'll do mine, but I'll live within the boundaries. But Jesus isn't setting up a religion or rules. He's talking about a relationship with him, which means today, what it's gonna take to faithfully love your spouse might feel like a cross, like I have to submit to obey God in this. Tomorrow, what it's gonna feel like for you to live in hope and to trust God with your pain may feel like a cross. You want to run to doubt, you want to run to hide, you want to run to medicate, but you say, no, I'm going to stay in this and I'm going to trust that God is with me. That could feel like a cross. Whatever that is for you on a daily basis where his will and your faithfulness come together, that's your cross. And he says, if you're going to follow me, there's going to be lots of those. And you need to spend some time daily paying attention, not ignoring or trying to be distracted or running from, but actually paying attention. God, what is that place today? What is that cross that you're asking me to pick up today? And the last one is follow me, which means that this has This is not a God who is above, who looks down and says, you people shouldn't act like that, so deny yourself and then suffer, and then if you do it good enough, I'll approve of you. But this is a God who has come into our flesh, taken on our humanity, said, I'm gonna go first. And all I want you to do is is come next to me, right? Stay right behind me. You follow me. This is a Jesus who's inviting you into relationship. So that this self-denial, cross-carrying, daily following of Jesus has connection to it. Where he's intimately walking through that with you. Now, the truth is, in our culture... The idea of self-denial, cross-carrying, following of Jesus doesn't make any sense. It's like, why would, I, why would I give up? Why would I lay down? Why wouldn't I take what I want and press the I want button and have the things that appeal to me? And 
Like, why wouldn't I go that way? Why this way? And so Jesus is really uncovering in this passage core issues about how we see the world and how we understand our lives. So here's what he says. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their soul? So Jesus is confronting the meaning of life or how we understand our life. We're all trying to save our life to some extent. It's why we pursue all the things that we pursue. And there are competing philosophies about how we go about that, how we go about saving our life. There, so here's a few. And you may find yourself, you will find yourself in some of these. There's the philosophy that says, I win. That's how I save my life. Like, I'm going to win. I'm going to determine, uh, I don't wanna be a loser I want to have that career. I want to have certain success. I want to be better than other people. And so I win. And this attitude can also be in the places where you lose. So as a loser, you can still try to flip it into being a winner. Have you ever lost at something and then said, that, that game's stupid anyways? <laughs> like, for me, all through high school, that was basketball. It's like, what a dumb game. Like, put it in the little rim, like, eh, right? Um, <laughs> I don't, it had nothing to do with but being 5'10 and having a two-inch vertical leap. It was, no, the game's dumb because I couldn't win. And, and we may do that with all kinds of situations. We may create an entire philosophy of life that's built around winning in a different way. Like, I'm a loser, but that makes me a winner. But there's this sense of, I win. That's how I save my life. I prove that I'm better than you, that I've overcome. There's another sense that we save our life. Maybe it's, uh, I own. I have the things that I want. I purchase. I therapeutically shop. I go into debt, I have the right house, I have the right car, I have all the right stuff, and what I don't have, I have pinned to a certain website so everybody else will know that I want that, right? In other words, I, there's something that you wake up and you realize, man, today's gonna be a great day, I don't know why I'm so excited. Oh yeah, yesterday I bought that thing. And that could be a luxury car or a huge house or a fixie bike, it doesn't really matter what it is, it's just that you have the right stuff. And that saves your life, that makes your life something important. It could be that I'm enlightened, that, that I don't follow any real religious thing. I have my own spirituality, I created it myself, but I'm superior, I, I've had spiritual experiences, this is sort of an Oprah kind of spirituality. It's like all roads lead to wherever and I'm on one and, and so I'm enlightened. And that's how I save my life. 
For others, it could be I understand myself, like I've done enough counseling and enough work. And it's not, I'm never, never hear me. I'm not down on counseling, but counseling doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. And so there's this idea that if I just can go back and figure out what happened when I was a kid and my family dynamics, then all of a sudden, I'll save my life. I'll make myself better. Or you can prove that you've been able to sort of wrap your mind around enough scientific naturalism that you can say, hey, I, I can sense it, I can taste it, I can experience it, I can prove it in the material world, and so that's why I'm an atheist, or that's why I'm agnostic, or that's why I don't trust God with these things, because I'm, I'm in the proving stuff, and if I can prove it, then I save myself that way. Or maybe it's just I experience. Like I just want to, I don't want to die not having all the experiences that I wanted to have. I want to go to all those places. I want to I experience all these things. And if I deny myself, then I'm essentially going to end up without those experiences. This is why many marriages that are 25, 30 years in start to falter. Or the men go off the rails, or like these things happen because you realize now there's, there's less life in front of you than there is behind you, and you haven't had the experiences you wanted, and you're done denying yourself those. All of these are saviors of sorts. All of these are things you go to to save yourself. And they all have one thing in common. They're all about your glory. And your glory is a fading glory. Our human glory is this fading, dimming light that eventually gets snuffed out. And Jesus is saying, if that's where you put the whole emphasis, if that's how you're gonna try to save your life, in the end, you're gonna end up with with nothing you're actually going to have lost it. And so he says, what good is it if you get everything, if you gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? Underneath this, what I want you to hear is that Jesus is protecting something eternal within you, and that is your soul. And he protects it by saying, you could actually forfeit the most sacred, holy part of you by looking to these false saviors and you'll lose it. Or you can lay that in my hands and lose your life, so to speak, in Jesus and you'll save it. And you can trust that because he actually rose from the dead. So how do we save our life? It's really simple. By believing in and following Jesus as the son of God. That's how, right? We put our life in his hands and we trust him 
So we deny ourselves and we pick up our crosses and, and we follow him and we, we believe that in his hands our lives are gonna be saved. So self-denial that feels like loss is actually gain. The apostle Paul put it this way, for me to live is Christ, right? And to die is gain. So for me to live is to live my life within, within the person of Jesus by following him. And if I did die, that would be gain. That's him articulating this in his own words. So here's the question. What are your little saviors, right? Are you an I win or an I own or I experience or I'm enlightened or I can prove or an I want? And what would it look like for you to to realize today that, that that could actually cost you your soul? What would it look like to hand, let that, let that go and hand your life over to Jesus? Let's look at verse 26. He says, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the son of man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the father and of the holy angels. Truly I tell you, some of you are standing here who will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God and then the story of the transfiguration. That's what he's talking about there. But then he he warns them this thing of shame. Jesus warns us of the consequences of being ashamed of him. And and that, that would have been a normal thing. I mean, they're sitting there and they said, look, you're the Messiah, you're the son of God. And he says, man, I'm gonna go to the cross. I'm gonna get arrested and beaten and killed crucified and they're going to come for you and don't be ashamed of me don't be ashamed that I'm saying the way to power is through humility the way to salvation is through sacrifice the way to life is through death don't be ashamed of me but the truth is in a world of I want buttons and a world full with our own fading glory There's a lot of points of tension in places where you may be ashamed. You think of people throughout the years, Freud explained religion as just this outworking of anxiety that that we we had from being a kid that we didn't understand life as uh, important, so we created this illusion of comfort called God. Nietzsche, who wrote the words, God is dead and we killed him, thought that the sentimentality of this Christian story would actually hobble the human race because it would give, it would give open uh, opportunity for the poor and not allow us powerful humans to achieve all that we could achieve. So he thought the whole idea of Jesus and sacrifice was preposterous. It was just a romantic, ridiculous story. And then there's your neighbors and your coworkers and your friends who think it's dumb, right? And so you don't talk about it. You don't, you kind of, you try to act like you're other than a follower of Jesus or you're a different kind. The question is simply this, are you ashamed of Jesus? Because there's, it's a dangerous place to be. It's a dangerous place to be, for all of us to be. 
It is in these hard teachings, and these are hard teachings, that Jesus creates soft hearts. At first, we can listen to this and and go, man, what is he doing? I mean, people are going to leave. This is too much. But the truth is, it's in this harder teaching that the deeper discipleship in our hearts are formed. Because it's when we come face to face with these words that, that we go deeper. I mean, come and see, that's exciting. Go and tell, we're gonna save the world, that's really meaningful. Deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me, that feels like a threat. But underneath it is this powerful formational truth. It uncovers your unbelief. Like, do you really believe that Jesus is the son of God? Because if you really believe that, then this won't be as hard as it looks. It confronts all these false saviors. It holds a mirror up and says, man, you want, you win, you own, you try to save your life through so many of these avenues. And none of them are working. It rescues us from the possibility of losing our soul, which for Jesus is everything. And it protects us from this false, this really easy slide into unfaithfulness and being ashamed of Christ. And so today, Imago Day, together, we ask ourselves, as he did those 12, as he would here today, whoever wants to be a disciple of Jesus, you need to deny yourself Pick up your cross daily and follow him. It's as simple as that. It's profound as that. It's as transformational as that. And, and just so you would know that, that like life is at the end of this road, he went first and he rose from the dead. And so you come to a table of broken body and shed blood, bread and wine, a sacrament to say that the king who calls you to walk in his footsteps has already accomplished it for you. Today is a great day to come down and lay down false saviors, to pick up crosses, to repent of sin, and to really turn to Christ and follow him as a disciple. There'll be people here that would love to pray with you if you need prayer as you walk through that. Let's pray. Today, Lord, we are grateful that you are a God, a God of love, compelled by love, to sacrifice yourself for us, that you denied yourself, that you picked up your cross, that you followed the Father's will, all the way till you breathed your last breath and then you conquered the grave. Would you give us the type of clarity and courage that we need today? Give us the grace to repent of our sin. Continue, God, to call us to this deeper place where our 
where you uncover our doubts, where you uncover the lies we believe and the false saviors that we have, and where you powerfully transform us through your word. Would you meet us now, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you are interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at www.imagodaycommunity.com.